you woke up this morning, it's a good day. If you woke up healthy, it's a good day. If you woke up refreshed, then it's a good day. So get up, get out, get on your way. If you woke up broke, it's still a good day. And if you woke up diseased, it's still a good day. And if you woke up exhausted, it's still a good day. Because you woke up, so get on your way. Welcome to Travel by Proxy, the show where we leave our house so you don't have to. I'm Andrea. And I'm Aaron. In each episode, we feature a destination anywhere from right in our neighborhood to far off lands. We bring you our experience, some history, and a taste of each destination by sampling something unique to it. So whether you're listening to this in your car, on a train, on a plane, or in Spain, you'll learn about something to add to your bucket list. Or to remove from it. In this week's episode, we meddle in the mudroom in Mendota Heights, Minnesota. We explore this surprising speakeasy, taste their delicious cocktails, and learn about the history of illegal alcohol in Minnesota. So sit back and take a journey with us as we talk about the world outside your window. All right, Andrea, so just a couple of weeks ago uh, in real time here, and it's probably going to be a couple of months by the time everyone listens to this, uh, we went to the Mudroom. Uh, well, we is, are a weekly podcast, so we it, are. it probably actually won't be a couple of months. It might actually just be a month. Either way. I also uh, like going here, so it might just be a week for me. True, it, true. And honestly, I think I need to be more frequent on that with you as well, because that place this is This place amazing. is amazing. You know what place it is, right? It is the Mudroom in Mendota Heights. <laughs> like we said earlier in the podcast. <laughs> Which we're going to continue to say a lot, because A, the it is spelled M-U-D-D. Right. Um, and it's, uh, saying it to speak easy is kind of uh, like not doing it justice for how you get there it's true because when you arrive uh it's next to lucky 13 it's attached to that same building uh but it's in the basement underneath there and when you enter you go into just a little vestibule and there is like an old-timey telephone that you have to pick up and you have to listen to get the code for the day and then you enter that code into that phone and then the door opens so you can go down the stairs and into the actual space or if you're the last happy hour people from Lucky's 13, you come wandering down the stairs looking for a bathroom. Exactly. It's it's a whole space that's interconnected. Um, but the mudroom, it's it's a magical place. Can I say that? Can I say magical? I think you I think can. it's magical. It really is. Because the, the cool part about this place is, well, first of all, so when you get down there, um, they really do a great job of setting the scene for a speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Like, It's pretty common. I mean, when you go to... I've been to quite a few speakeasies. I like going to speakeasies. Mm -hmm. I have a Google Maps speakeasy list that I maintain and add things to as I travel. And to be fair, there's uh, there's enough speakeasy-like or speakeasy establishments in the area uh, that I actually interacted with a group the other day uh, that they were on a speakeasy pub crawl, and they had dressed as if they were in the 1920s. Uh, it was one of the most hipster kind of like costumed speakeasy crawls that I've ever heard of, but they were having a wonderful evening, and I support them fully. And they spent a ton of money. Oh, I bet they did. Uh, that is the one thing about speakeasies. They, they do... Uh, they do it right. Uh, every speakeasy I've been to, and I'm pretty sure for you as well, they go over the top to make sure it is an authentic experience, and the prices do reflect that. So yeah. they are not they are not cheap. You do not go in and get your like two dollar Bud Light specials. Mm-mm. You get high quality handcrafted cocktails, and you get craft beers, and you just you know some of the greatest food ever as well. Yeah, depending on the place you go to, there there are some where the food isn't. Well, they don't really either have food or like the food isn't really all that great. 
If you do, um, you know, while we're talking about this, if you go to uh, the website and uh, check our show notes for this uh, with the blog post, you will see a photo of their cocktail specials that we had on the specific night we are talking about when we went. Yeah. Uh, they are seasonal, so they'll probably be uh, different at this at the time that you may go. Um, but they are amazing. Uh, they use high quality ingredients. They make everything by hand. It's just wonderful. And if you look up the mudroom on the web, one of the photos that is associated with the business is one I took. And the best part, you know, while we're talking about that, because which photo was that again? Describe uh, that photo to me. Yeah, uh, so it's the photo of the bar. There is a check with sort of um, a piece of paper, and there's just a glass, an empty glass at the end of the bar mm -hmm. for the lost uh, member of the of the bar it's mm -hmm. uh it's actually the uh, one of the former one of the former owners of the bar who passed away in 2018 oh yeah which is sad but uh, you know it's great that they're continuing on uh because they do such a phenomenal job you know the the thing you know i took a lot of notes when we were there uh and one of the things that we did you know we wrote down each of the cocktails we had and again you can you can find the photo that has the descriptors of these cocktails i had a, a cocktail called a a good night sweetheart and you had a cocktail called a Pioneer Press. That's and, right. And I want you to describe uh, the glass that that came in. It came in a milk carton, uh, really good glass milk carton. So the Pioneer Press is a blended ice cream cocktail, and um, one of the one of the staples of sort of Midwestern supper clubs is a like a brandy Alexander, mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing you know, uh, up North people like more than dessert with liquor in it. It's, you know, dessert with liquor is not a specific thing to local, you know, to local Minnesotans or the upper Midwest, but it is. No, that's amazing. true. But it does seem to be something that you find on supper club menus. I miss supper clubs. We can do more on supper clubs later, but, you know. We probably could, but, you know, then we'd be getting really bougie. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're pretty um, bougie as it is. That's true. Uh, anyway, the uh, so it's served in this glass that looks like a milk carton, and it's basically ice cream. You have the drink list up because I didn't actually. I put my phone down that I actually read my notes off of, and I probably should have had it up. That's okay. I'm actually trying to get that drinks list again. All I had was our notes of what drinks we had. Um, which, by the way, I did go into a bit of a nostalgia Wikipedia hole um, when uh, I was going back through those yeah, notes. Yeah, actually, tell me a little bit more about this. What did what was that hole that you fell into? So the the drink you had called the Pioneer Press. It's named after uh, a paper that was founded in St. Paul. I double checked; it was 1849 uh, when the original incarnation of that paper was created. And uh, what that reminded me of is back. Several years ago, um, I was working at a building called the First National Bank Building, which is in downtown St. Paul, which is another historic building in St. Paul. Um, but at the time, the, Pine the original Pioneer Press building, the original Pioneer Building, uh, was part of the complex that was owned by the First National Bank Building. Mm -hmm. And as my job there was in security, I had to patrol that that at the time empty Pioneer building, uh, which had been the offices for the Pioneer Press for about 100 years at that point until it finally closed, I think, in 2004-ish uh, when they, they moved to a new facility. Um, in a different building or kind of consolidated to different office space. Um, but the the highlights of that building is it had the original elevators that were put in um, 
They think they were retrofitted in the early 20s or the late in the late 19 teens. So and like really early elevators. They were the first elevators in the state of Minnesota. And wow. they were operated by a hand crank and they didn't automatically stop at floors. So to operate that So you could miss. You could miss. If you it, they they went really fast. <laughs> like if you if you cranked that one way or the other if you were going up and you pushed it to its limit, it would start going very fast. Like fast up or fast down? Both. Like you could you could really get that moving. Um faster I, I would say it's not quite as fast as like um, you know, modern high rise express uh-huh. elevators, but for something that's only going sixteen stories in the air, um, it moved almost uncomfortably flat, fast because the elevator had a iron gate that you closed. So you had two iron gates. Mm-hmm. There was the floor gate and then there was the elevator gate. So whenever you got into the elevator, you had to first close the gate that closed off the elevator access from yeah. that entry on the floor. So basically like the don't fly outside of the elevator yes. gate. And then you had to close the internal gate. And so it was just open iron gate. And it, there was like a good inch, maybe, of space between that and the wall. <laughs> so um, the first few times I operated that elevator, it was absolutely terrifying because it's just this very small space. And it was not a big elevator because it's one of yeah. the first. And they weren't, anticip- you know, they didn't use them for freight. No. They didn't have them for like dozens of people. No. You know, these were. And they probably didn't anticipate, you know, people of modern size in them. No, no, they didn't. And uh, it was it was a really it was a really intense thing. And also to operate that, um, it was still codified in law in St. Paul in the St. Paul City Code that to operate those kinds of elevators, you had to be licensed and certified as an elevator operator. So I had to take a ten question test and pay two dollars, which was the price set uh, back when an elevator operator was a job that you could hold. And so I had to I had to verify that I could manually operate that elevator safely uh, with passengers in it just so I could do my rounds through that building huh. as a security officer. So like uh, what what would stop you from like flying off the deep end and just like crashing the elevator? There were uh, there were kind of like emergency stops and whatnot, but it was it was more designed that the speed was there to be set by the operator. okay you could you could go up as slowly. Or almost as fast as you really wanted to. And again, you could get it going really could fast. Could you crash into the ceiling? Um, I don't believe you could uh, because the there was like an extra story above where the elevator ended uh, its track. So there was the like kind of emergency stops at the top. And I know that they had retrofitted like actual like emergency brakes, like a normal uh, modern elevator for like if it dropped and uh, and things like that but it was still you know you didn't go in and press a button you pushed a hand crank and you pushed one direction to go up you pulled one direction to go down and that's how you operated that elevator i totally want to subtitle this episode when we release it uh speakeasies and elevator safety (laughs) i like how with that i like how we just spent like uh four minutes of our speakeasy cocktail learning all about elevator safety it was amazing yeah actually it really was and um to kind of bring it back to the pioneer press I mean, I don't want to mm-hmm. completely derail you from elevator. We're talking safety. about the cocktail again. No, no longer are no we longer talking the building. about the building. Um, the cocktail is made with Tempest Fugit Creme de Menthe, mm-hmm. Creme de Coco, or Cacao, if you're going to pronounce it that way, Frangelico, blended smooth with vanilla ice cream. So it's basically like taking candy liquor 
and blending it with ice cream. Mm-hmm. And just because I've I've finally gotten uh, the Goodnight Sweetheart list up here, which is the drink I had, mm-hmm. uh, that is Annie's Irish Cream and also the Tempest Fugit uh, Creme de Coco or Cacao, whatever you want to say, if you want to be bougie. Well, about actually, it. In- interestingly enough, on the Goodnight Sweetheart, the menu is Annie's Ice uh, Annie's Irish Cream, the the Tempest Fugit Creme de Coco, but on the Pioneer Press, it's uh, Creme de Cacao. And it's also in in those of you who are kind of looking at the uh, the the photo with us as we're talking about this, there is a drink as well called the Cathedral, which is a Tempest Creme de Noia and Creme de Cacao, and that is C A C A O. Which yeah. again, it's weird that it's C O C O A in your drink, in but in the, the other sweetheart. two, it was it's spelled cacao. I, honestly, I think it's really just semantics and fanciness mm-hmm. because the the, the cocktail—it's the same liquor. It is, and it's it is delicious, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're again these are these are not like four dollar special drinks. These I think ran us about like twelve to fifteen mm-hmm. each. So you know, this is not a. This is this is a place to go and enjoy yourself and drink responsibly. Yeah. If you if you have the budget to go there and drink to excess, make sure you have a Lyft or an Uber or some sort of sober person to drive you home. They do have a happy hour though. They do. Um, I have not experienced that. Next time we it go, was, it's just a few dollars off, mm-hmm. but it's 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 still a pretty you know it's still saving um, over normal stuff. Yeah, a few dollars is a few dollars. Every every dollar adds. Yeah. And but it's this is one of those places that it's worth it to go. It yeah. is absolutely worth it to go. So um I'd like to talk about a little bit about, you know, sort of the classic cocktails and the speakeasy style cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um in future episodes, you know, we're gonna introduce uh Aaron and I are gonna sort of introduce each other to various cocktails that mm-hmm. we've tasted at some of these places because mm-hmm. You know, being in Minnesota, we don't really have laws that allow us to just take a cocktail home with us. No, we don't. Uh, we do not have the ability to just, oh, can I get that to go and then take it with us on the road? Yeah. So in in Aaron's case, um, I've actually mixed him a dark and stormy mm-hmm. um, with some of the ingredients I have on hand. Um, it's not something that they have on the menu at the mudroom. But I did use a, I did actually use a quality rare rum, mm-hmm. which is typical of something that you would find on the menu at the mudroom because they do source some of the more rare liquors that you mm-hmm. might find. They have, they have a really wide selection of, of liquors. Um, and it's, you know, they do, they do really good cocktails in general. Um, but, you know, going to these places, it's generally going to be about the specialty drinks. You know, getting getting a very, very high quality dark and stormy is going to be much better than most bars that you'll go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, look at what they have on special because that is what those people do best. They come up with these cocktails. They take the ingredients that they have, you know, that they find. And they invent something for you correct. to try. Like, that is really what what it comes down to. Like the speakeasy is a speakeasy. Like you're going to be able to get an old fashioned. You'll probably find a sazerac on tap. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with the sazerac, I mean the classic cocktails usually uh, you rinse a glass with absinthe, mm-hmm. uh, cognac, uh, lemon zest, um, and Peychaud's bitters. Mm-hmm. A sugar cube sometimes, mm-hmm. or you can just purchase absinthe and drink absinthe with sugar. 
the way, mm-hmm. you know, because I have not experienced absinthe as much as you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time I have, because we did that at Volstead's and, I, and I, I'm pretty sure that they have the availability uh, at the mudroom as well, because I think I saw a couple of people order sure. it. Um, but it is that is an experience for your for your entire set of senses is what that is. Yeah, I could do that here, but I don't really want to light my house on fire. No, no, it's it's much better left to the professionals. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, one of the thing the way that one of the ways that people will serve absinthe is you will you'll pour a little bit of you'll pour the absinthe over a sugar cube and light the sugar cube on fire, and then you can add water to it mm-hmm. as you see fit. And in a lot of places, if they, um, if if you have proven yourself to be able to kind of handle this process on your own, uh, they they will also even even just to add enough water on your own, they'll give you a little dropper. Mm-hmm. The droppers are amazing. I love watching the droppers come out. Um, oh, and the other thing that we had while we were there, um, oh, what you that? had? I had the. Uh, it was that uh, that crab. Oh yeah, uh, we had the um, we had. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I, I, I'm looking at my notes and I realized it didn't type up what it was called. Yeah, you you didn't, and oh, isn't no. that absolutely terrible? It is. It was. Uh, it was like a. Uh, uh, it, you it don't was, remember what it was, do it you? It was served with a bruschetta. It was a crab gratin. It was a crab gratin or yep. gratin, however you want to pronounce that. But wait, who says gratin? I don't know. There's I've, an I in it. Yeah, I know. I, don't ask me. I'm, you know, I've heard people again. Do, do you play like, Settlers of Catton? <laughs> settlers of Catton. My, my grandmother says Warsh to, for things. We have weird pronunciations in my family, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, but no, it was a crab gratin. Okay. Uh, it was a delicious, cheesy thing served with those little, you know, mm-hmm. uh, baguette, you know, the little bruschettas. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was just the divine. bread the bread was my favorite part of it mm-hmm. um i wouldn't necessarily order it again i don't generally eat s- seafood a lot um i i will do like shrimp and i do a lot of sushi and whatnot but the yeah. the crab flavor mixed in there was wonderful it yeah, wasn't it overpowering was yeah. uh-huh but i think i think honestly um it was sort of one of those things where you mixed crab and cheese together and you were like you know these two flavors together were not the best choice mm-hmm. for that particular night. I mean, for me, it was still delicious. I, I did have a cold, so I, my like my, my sense of smell was was highly um, kind of disrupted um, because of that. But I, I still stand by that was a very tasty dish for me. Would I have it again in the future? Yes. Would I have it every night? Absolutely not. To be fair, though. Um, there are certain times where I go through what I like to call my kindergartner phase, where I really enjoy eating the kindergartner food groups. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the kindergartner food let's, groups? Let's walk through that. Uh, chicken fingers, mm-hmm. pizza, mm-hmm. Uh, hot dogs, mm-hmm. corn dogs, mm-hmm. and sandwiches. Okay. So you're talking like the the kind of the, the picky kid eater yep. with air quotes where it's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. What do you like? Chicken fingers. I want chicken fingers every meal for the next six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think I think I was kind of rolling through one of those phases right there. It, so, you know, I go through that. The, the one thing my fiance uh, does not understand about me because she cannot, and we're going to go on a weird sidetrack and it's fine. She, she can't just continually eat the same meal like three times in a day okay whereas i will go on a kick where i will be like you know what's great mac and cheese you know what's great for every meal for the next week mac and cheese oh yeah i could do that too yeah and i can you know i will make a giant thing of mac and cheese and we will eat that together as one meal and she's like all right 
the rest of that is all you. I'm not having it. Hmm. And, you know, I'm fine with it because I, I love it and that's what I'm wanting. But yeah, we, I, th- I think a lot of people do th- go through those phases where it's just like they are attached to one food. That's what they want. That's what they're going to eat. And that's fine. That's how people are. People can do whatever people want to do, yeah. generally. I just like to eat things. Uh, I get through a phase where I just want to eat bar food for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we deviate, when I deviate from that plan, for some weird reason, my body, re- my, my, my palate reacts in a way that is unexpected. Oh, and it's just kind of like, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't. I, I, I do consider my palate uh, diverse, too, because mm-hmm. I do enjoy a lot of very strange flavors. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, we've known each other long enough that I know you, you don't literally just eat chicken fingers and hot dogs That's and corn true. dogs every in day. In fact, um, if you put a wheel of brie in front of me, I will probably, like, <laughs> I think there was one time I was at a party and um, somebody put out some brie and I ate probably... Uh, at least half of it. No, three quarters of oh, it. Oh, jeez. I was just sitting there mid-conversation with somebody, like, cutting pre and eating it while they were talking to another person. Like, it was, there were, th- there were three of us standing there, and the two of them were in a very active conversation, and I was sort of the passive partner. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started cutting brie and eating it. <laughs> and I think they thought I was still an active partner in the conversation, and I was just eating cheese and crackers. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Oh, well, there, we had uh, we had a night not too uh, a couple months ago. That's true. Where we had a lot of cheese. We had lots of cheeses. We all ate a lot of cheese that night. That jalapeno Havarti, by the way. Oh yeah. Now we're going on a complete sidetrack. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to reverse this for a second. Um, but we do need to get uh, to the history of prohibition. Yes, we do. And um, Saint Paul has an interesting history with prohibition. And just to kind of start things off the the reason that the mudroom was named as such is it gets its name from a book uh saint mud by steve Thayer. it's just a fictional novel about gangsters in the 1920s but um there's sort of there like there are there's sort of a history in saint paul of rumors and um well, there's also a history of St. Paul of, you know, gangsters, mm-hmm. very famous gangsters. You know, John true. Dillinger was tried at the federal courthouse yes. here. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of those prohibition era gangsters that hid out in the suburbs, what are now the suburbs of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, while they were being actively sought. Yeah, Stillwater has some caves where um, mm-hmm. you can go and see places where, you know, barrels were head, hid. Um there's a rumor that like where Man- where the mudroom is the like there's caves that it's actually pretty close to the river and um there are caves along the river that mm-hmm. you know they think were used as waypoints possibly storage areas mm-hmm. for uh people you know cuz especially uh, a lot of the booze that came through uh the illegal booze that came into the uh the country uh came through Canada and so Minnesota was a huge kind of waypoint and, and corridor. Because you could just float that. it right down mm-hmm. the river. Exactly. And it's why, you know, in you know, when you get to Chicago and you have the Al Capones and, and kind of things like that, you know, a lot of what a lot of the product they got that was not made locally, you know, the bathtub gins and those kind of uh, other tropes that happened, but maybe not as much as people think. But they there was just 
a lot of booze coming from Canada down the Mississippi River. Exactly. Because, you know, it. by the way, for those of you who've never been to the Midwest, the Mississippi River does not actually extend into Canada. It mm-hmm. would have to be trucked until you hit the headwaters, and then it could get yeah. run down the river. But it was a lot shorter of a trip by truck to get it through to the headwaters. And then it was, you know, once it's on a ship, it's a lot harder for law enforcement to kind of find. So... Things that you find out about geography when you listen to Travel by Proxy. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, you you have sort of that historical bend. And along with that sort of thing, the art and photographs in the mudroom Mm -hmm. are allegedly Mm -hmm. found. Yeah. They were allegedly found in that space and then have been put up. And the the aesthetics of that place are amazing, by the way. Uh, you get these rock walls. You get this. Uh, was it copper ceiling? Mm-hmm. Um, it it really does feel like a classic speakeasy. It does. You know everything. Like all the chairs are like red velvet. It's a mm-hmm. lot of dark wood. Um, they've got a little stage so they can do live With the music. Curtains mm-hmm. and they do live music. They do live music and. It's the bar is one of those just classic long rounded bars with a mm-hmm. nice little raised kind of, uh, you know, shelf or uh, it's that lip so that drinks don't just slide off. Uh, and it's, it's got the leaning uh, yep. lip. Yeah, it's it is it is a beautiful place. Again, you know, if you're never going to go there, please just look up the mudroom. Look at the images that have been posted because that place is just gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. And it feels intimate. It really does. Like that time we were there, we, you know, we had that little corner uh, corner table booth area. Um, it was off by the, by the stage. Um, it's not too far from, from the bar. That There's nothing that's too far from anything Mm-mm. in that place. They've got an old Wurlitzer-looking um, jukebox. jukebox in the back. Um, it's not a large place. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't go in there and there's 600 people in that bar. You go in and you know, that place when it's busy probably has maybe 400 people in it. <laughs> not even that. <laughs> maybe, but maybe 150. Uh, Aaron can't count today. I'm having trouble counting. Either way, it's, you know, you've got these nice kind of low plush velvet chairs. Yeah. You've got the, the bar stools are the same material and they're also plush. They're like, everything's super comfortable in there. And the photos that they may or may not have found Regardless of what the, the veracity of that claim is, they are amazing. Yeah, they look cool. And I'm probably going to actually uh, put up a couple of photos mm-hmm. of my relatives mm-hmm. um, to accompany this so that look like some of the photos that hang in this bar, um, just so that you can kind of get a feel for what the photos you see inside of this bar will look like. Absolutely. And I just want to kind of close by, uh, you know, Kind of calling out one of the founders of the, oh, the yes. chain, oh, of yes. the Lucky's 13 chains, uh, chain, Linda Young. Uh, she passed away last year. Uh, she was one of the people who kind of started with Axel's, mm-hmm. the group, a restaurant group in mm-hmm. the Twin Cities area, before founding the Lucky's group. But she and her, her partner, in terms of creating those restaurants, have you know continued this tradition of starting and revitalizing and mm-hmm. creating new concepts and creating new restaurants. You know, they've got the mud room, mm-hmm. um, true blue social. Mm-hmm. Um, did you remember the Valley lounge in, in, uh, Egan? I don't think I ever went to that. Did you, you never went there. I didn't go there. Not, no. not when we used to do crappy bar meetups. No. I can't believe you never went there for a copy of our meetup. Because no, because by the time you went there, that's when I was in Cincinnati. Oh, that's right. So, um, 
it wasn't the greatest place to visit. Her and her partner actually bought it and turned it into Yankee Tavern. And it's actually a really nice, kind of a nice place to go now. You know, everything, because I've been to a lot of the establishments that, that uh, uh, I, I still haven't been to the, the new one you talked about, but of the places I've been that they have founded and or are, you know, the, the, that her partner is still part of, they are dedicated to quality. They are dedicated to the the guest experience. And uh, when we were there, uh, what the, there was that lady that came by and she was just um, mm-hmm. so warm and welcoming. And she like wanted to make sure she recognized you from the last time you'd been there, made sure to greet you, didn't remember your name. That's okay. But it's the fact that you have an ownership that is actively engaged in the guest experience and making sure that everybody in that establishment has a wonderful time and feels welcome. We are out of time for today, but that doesn't mean the show has to end. You can contact us by leaving a comment at travelbyproxy.com or by emailing fans at travelbyproxy.com. The Travel by Proxy theme is Good Day by Alex, copyright 2012. Our closing music is Now We're Talking by Jerris, copyright 2015. Both are licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license and can be found at dig.ccmixter.org. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we wish you a look look out out your window. Walking with you and your moving peace stones and your rearranging all the pieces that you find. Now we're talking about things and places, all the names and the faces of all the people that you love.